Thanks for joining us for Life Community Church. Welcome. Well, it's nice to be with you this morning. So on this great bright day, um, I have something to confess. If you are a basketball team out there, all you have to do is get me to root for your opponent and you will, lo- you will win the game because I, my bracket is now done. <laughs> it is quite an amazing thing. So, But uh, greetings. Um, I'm just really excited about the message series that uh, we're going to conclude today. Um, and it's been, we've been talking about transformations and uh, transformations in as we follow Jesus. And uh, Dan started off the series uh, a couple weeks ago um, talking about the Sumerian woman and the woman at the well. And so again, this was kind of that sudden transformation where we saw someone that encountered Jesus Christ, was transformed with their life, and then totally changed the environment around them. She went, she preached to her community, and brought others in to, to know Jesus Christ. And it was a sudden transformation. And then uh, Liz last week kind of, she, she described it, I love this description, the slow burn transformation. You know, this transformation that happened over time with uh, Nicodemus, who at the first encounter with Jesus Christ, uh, Jesus talked about being born again. He didn't understand what that was like. And didn't understand what Jesus was trying to um, speak to him about, about becoming a new man in Jesus Christ. And we see throughout his life, he was transformed by the message of Jesus Christ as being one of the ones that was actually there when they um, were burying Jesus Christ. Well, you you kind of hear those transformations, you're like, these are transformations non-believer to believers. So, you know, you can kind of sit there and go, okay, I'm off the hook. You know, I don't need to listen this week. This is for non-believers, you know, so I'll sit back, I'll dream, you know. Well, this week, I'm afraid to tell you, this is the transformation of Believers Week, okay? And that is that transformations still happen in a believer's life. This isn't just for someone that doesn't believe in Christ and chooses to follow him, but this transformation actually happened as we follow Christ. And I have to say, this is a transformation that I experienced in my life, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that. But um, you know that I sometimes come to Scripture in different ways just to try to organize it. And this time, I'm going to come to Scripture and come to it as a three-act play, okay? And the, these acts, if we, would, if we would look at Scripture, we're going to kind of look throughout the Gospels, but focus our, our main attention on John as we've done in the past. But, but the characters of this are the three siblings. So there are three um, siblings that this story of transformation is focused on. And this is the family that when Jesus was going to Jerusalem, uh, Bethany is about two miles from Jerusalem. So when Jesus was going to Jerusalem, we have these times when he actually went to Bethany and would, would seem to always go and visit this family. And it's a family of Simon. And uh, Simon of Beth, Bethany, uh, we know a little bit about her, him. He was, a, he was a leper at one time and um, apparently had been healed and possibly even being healed by Jesus Christ himself. And we're not told much about the siblings' ages, but I'm going to argue to you that if you are observing human nature you can figure out what the ages of these siblings were. And, you know, let, let's say that this isn't directly stated in, 
in Scripture, but I hope that looking at their ages will help you to remember these stories. So let's start off. We're going to go to Act 1, so we can put up the slide for Act 1. This is the elder and the younger. So we're going to meet two of the siblings, the elder and the young, younger. And I would just argue, even though that this isn't in, in Scripture, you can figure out here from this passage who the older and younger sibling is. Okay, so we're going to go to, before we get to John, let's go back to Luke. And this is the first time Jesus encountered this family. Let's look at Luke chapter 10, if you have your Bible with you or your phone or whatever. Um, I'll have it up here. Let's go to Luke chapter 10. This is the first time that, they, that Jesus encountered uh, this family. In Luke 10, uh, 38, it says this, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened up her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me doing all the work by myself? Tell her to come help me. Okay. And, Mar and Jesus said, Martha, Martha. The Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one, and Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Okay, so we are not given who's older or younger here, right? But don't you think Martha's older, right? She's the older sister that's kind of there, and, you know, we see her, she's saying, hey, Jesus, Savior of the world. Mary's not doing anything here. I need some help, right? And so she's kind of that intense, you know, person. And probably, you know, we know Simon had leprosy, and he was probably taken to the outside of the village of uh, the village when he had leprosy. She probably was taking care of the home. So she's that kind of firstborn, you know, just really taking care of things. And I think there are some people here that are kind of in that. They're kind of the the firstborn, you know, us type A personalities, and it's like, well, Martha should have said something to Jesus, right? And you're like, you're like, you hear Martha and you say, amen, you know, I'm, I'm always getting stuff to do, you know, this stuff's got to get done if we're going to eat, right? And so you can kind of, and then the guys are there, you know, poking wives and stuff, but remember, it could be Matthias too, right? So some of the guys are like that too, you know, you get so intense of the things that you have to do in preparation you kind of miss out. And that was the scene here. And then you've got Mary, and you can just feel that she's the youngest, right? You feel that she's the youngest daughter that, you know, maybe gets a little pampered. And, you know, you got the scene. She's at the feet of Jesus, just listening. You can see her listening, you know, and, and just looking up at it. And, and you just kind of go, ah, oh, such a peaceful, serene, you know. And she's, she is just that kind of sweet, younger daughter that, you know, is looking up at Jesus. Um, yes, I'm reading into scripture there. That is right. But it gets us to remember that we have two individuals here. You know, one that's kind of that I need to be doing something. The other is I want to be worshiping at Jesus's feet. So with that, that's the first scene that we see our two characters in this. And so let's close act one. Okay. Act one is closed. Let's open up now into Act 2. Now we go back to John. So this is um, Act 2, and this is the exit and the entrance. So I told you there were three siblings here, and I would argue there's an older sibling, 
there's a younger sibling. Well, this, I would argue, might be the middle sibling. Like I said, Scripture doesn't say that. But what do we know about middle siblings? Well, we know that middle siblings have a hard time getting the family's attention, right? If you're a middle sibling, you always felt like, man, I couldn't do anything because someone was focused on either the younger one. I wasn't around when the older one was growing up. And sometimes as a middle kid, you kind of feel like, man, I just really got to get attention. Well, this middle sibling found a way to get the attention of everyone. And this middle sibling's name is Lazarus, right? This is a sibling to uh, Martha and Mary. And so we look at John 11 and what happened that Lazarus had actually died. He had passed away, and Jesus heard about this. And so Jesus, knowing the family, said, I need to go and see that family. And so he's headed to the family, and now this scene opens in Acts 2 that we see uh, what happened around the death of Lazarus. And it says this in John 11, uh, verse 20, it says, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. So you've got the individual, the go-getter individual, you know, wants to get things done, she goes out to meet Jesus, Mary's just heartbroken, you know, the feeling individual, the, the individual that was at Jesus' feet, just heartbroken, and stayed home. And Martha said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died but I know even now God will give you whatever you ask. You know, he kinda, she kind of comes out and says, Jesus, you know, this wouldn't have happened, and you can do it now. And then Jesus said, look, your brother will rise again. And I love Martha's response here, uh, because you could feel this. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. It's almost like Jesus is going... She's like, don't give me that Christianese answer, right? <laughs> it's like when someone, you're going through a rough time, and someone comes up to you and gives you the Romans 8 verse that says, all things work together for good. And you're like, no, you don't understand. I'm struggling right now, <laughs> you know? And Martha's out there just saying, Jesus, don't, you know, don't give me just the standard answer. And then Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she says, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, Son of God, who has come into the world. And then she goes away. She walks away after saying that. And in the meantime, Jesus must have said to her, you know, at what we're saying right now, you know, where's Mary? You know, we had these other siblings in this. So where's Mary? What's Mary doing? doing this time. And Jesus actually asked that. So if we go down to verse uh, 28 then of John 11, it says this, after Martha had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, meaning Jesus, she said, and is asking for you. You know, Jesus is saying, you know, where is that younger daughter? Where is the one that worshiped at my feet, that, that really cared about the things that I was teaching. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And you just feel the grief. Her brother, her maybe middle uh, brother had died. And Jesus saw her weeping, this family that he had spent time with. And the Jews who had come along with her are also weeping. 
He was deeply moved in the spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then it has, you know, the, my favorite memory verse, Jesus wept, right? So, you know, that, that Jesus was so moved by his care for his family, his care for Mary, that he was grieved. You know, um, and now we're, we get to the middle child who needs to do something to grab everyone's attention, and what better than to be resurrected, right? <laughs> so in John eleven forty one. 44, it says this, so they took away the stone, and, and they're even telling Jesus, look, this is not going to be pleasant, Jesus. He's been in there four days. He's, he's starting to, yeah, you know, not smell so good. And it says, then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of those standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped in strips of linen and a cloth around his feet. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. You know, this is an amazing scene. You know, again, what better way to grab the attention as the middle of a child is, well, it takes a resurrection to do that. But the thing that I get out of that is think about the words that Jesus said. He said, come out, Lazarus. This is Emmanuel, God with us. There is no statement that Jesus can make that will not come true. It's not like me, right? All he has to do is speak and it will be done. That's how creation happened, you know, to fulfill creation and, and everything that happened around that. And even death has to obey the words because of who Jesus Christ is. And so Lazarus returns from the back, from death into life. And now we close on act two. And now we've kind of closed on the second act. We see the middle child, you know, Lazarus, who's resurrected. And we saw the intensity of Martha and Mary, and I don't know if you're like me, like you, you watch a movie, sometimes you watch a movie, you know, and at the end of the movie, there's some characters you go, hey, hey, wait a minute, what happened to them? You know, you made me care about them, what happened to them? And it turns out that we get this glimpse into what happened to Mary and Martha after this event, after all of these things that happened. And that's in John 12, uh, 1 through 3. And it says this, and, and this is to be transformed to worship. It says this, six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany. So again, he's coming to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took out a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with a fragrance of the perfume. You know, I love we get to this little peek into Mary and Martha and Lazarus. But it's Mary, you know, that you really care about in this story sometimes. You know, you just see that she had this intimate relationship with Jesus, and now she's returning to that, 
And so she is worshiping Jesus Christ after all these things that happened. You know, the, the disappointments were gone. The death of her brother had shaken her faith. Uh, she saw Jesus was moved by emotion, cared that her brother had passed away, probably knowing that this is not the way things should be. I'm going to come to fix this, you know. And then she also saw this miraculous event where God came through and resurrected Jesus. And so now, after all of this, after all of this trial, she's at that testimony time, and she's bowing before Jesus, anointing him with oil and cleansing his feet. You know, there's one act that we are to be transformed in, and there's one act that is reserved for God alone, and that's worship. There is nothing else in this world that we are commanded to worship except God. That's it. That is the it. That is the thing that relationally, that is set aside for God alone. And that's what he calls us to do. You know, and it, it may have been a while since you've worshiped God, and I get it. You know, you've been through this pandemic and stuff and all the craziness happening around us, and it just kind of hurts, and it kind of takes our soul and rips it apart, and yet God is still there asking us to worship. And, you know, I had a transformation of worship in my own life. So I used to, so I, I started some Bible studies at Ohio State University, and I also uh, went to Lancaster, Ohio after I was married, and then we started a college group there that God really blessed. And, you know, we would always have part of our Bible studies, you know, playing some songs, you know. And so we'd play standard songs back then and just play them, and we'd sing them. And I would say they were fun, you know, but I didn't understand what we were to do through worship until I went and I actually went to visit one of the youth kids that I had um, in uh, Kentucky, he went to Kentucky Christian College, and he invited me, and we, we started to have a friendship at that time, and he had invited me down, he was married, and I came down there, and uh, we had always had a great relationship, and we re really became closer after uh, he went to college, and he invited me down there, and he said, you need to come to D Group with me. And I was like, D group? They had this group of guys that got together for discipleship. And he said, um, this is going to blow you away. And I go, oh, well, okay. He goes, he goes, we're going to spend like 20 minutes in worship and stuff. And I was like, whoa, you know, I can't imagine 20 minutes of, you know, these little songs that I sang. I was like, okay, Joel, whatever. Well, I go in this small apartment. It was apartment of one of the professors there, Louie. And we had this group of guys and he had the awesome sound system there. And we got in there, and they just cranked the music, and we worshiped. And I mean, it went from this Greg singing words, having a little fun, to, hey, something else is happening here. I'm actually experiencing a relationship with God that is set aside only for him. And it never had happened to me before. And I've been changed ever since that event. And, you, you know, you'll have these times in your life where you have these special worship times that is this relational time with God. And that was the first time it had happened with, with me. You know, we can look at kind of the life of Mary and whenever she went to worship God, 
And we can really learn from that how to be transformed into that worship experience, too. And I would say that there are three things we can kind of look at there. First, that this transformation of worship starts with an invitation. You know, she was out. She was bummed out. Her, her, her brother, who she loved so much, had died, and Jesus, who she relied on, wasn't there. And she was bummed out. And we see that back in verse 28, she says, she says Mary finds out from Martha, hey, Jesus is asking for you. And I would say that's the first thing. That's the number one thing from uh, worship. That, that this transformation of worship starts with an invitation. And it might seem weird because sometimes I think people think of worship, you know, and especially people that um, don't believe in God or don't believe in Jesus Christ. They say, that's kind of weird. You know, God says, hey, come worship me. You know, I'm so great and mighty. You know, I'm authority. You know, and, and we, sometimes people view it as that. But let me give you an illustration of what I think his call to worship to us is more like. You know, Jeanette, so every once in a while I'll be at home, and Jeanette will say, can you just give me a hug? Now, I don't go to Jeanette and say, what do you mean give you a hug? What are you wanting? You're demanding from me. You know, who do you think you are that you deserve a hug or a kiss? You know, I assure you, I do not do that, <laughs> right? And it, 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 it's ridiculous, right? I mean, that would just be weird if I did, if I had that response that I thought Jeanette was demanding from me. No, what Jeanette is saying is, you're my husband. There's one person that kisses me. There is one person that gives me a hug like you do, and it's you, and I want that. That's what God does for worship. He says, look, there is one thing I've set aside for you and me, and it's worship. It's the one thing that I've, in the creation of the universe, I said, this is what we get to participate in. We get to participate in worship together. Not only are we worshiping God the Father, we're worshiping the Trinity. I mean, think about this. There's, there's this word that they used to use, the original church fathers used, and it's perichoresis. Perichoresis is this wonderful, you know, we have descriptions of the Trinity, what it's like, and it's called the dance, the circle dance. It's this idea that God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are in this perfect dance together in this illustration that they're sharing a mutual love, that they're honoring each other, that there's this complete happiness and joy that they share together as they always look to each other in this perfect relationship. And what worship is, is we get to dance with the Creator. We get to dance with the Trinity. And they say, here, we want you to be part of this. That's what we get to experience. That's the intensity of the intimacy that God wants as we worship him. You know, Carol and John Wimber, they came up with, as they looked at uh, the vineyard that they had created, and they looked at, you know, worship was such a big part of that movement. And they said, this is really what we see is first we see that there's a call to worship. In other words, like Jesus Christ inviting um, inviting Mary. There's a call to worship. And then there's this engagement where it's this dynamic engagement where we go to God and we say, God, we are so thankful in what you've done. And then there's expressing God's love. There's the love and intimate language that we have with God that's just for him. You know, similar to what you would have reserved for 
your spouse, you know, that intimate love language that they have, that you see in Solomon. And God express, we express this love to God, and then we wait for God to visit us. We wait to see what is God going to do. And the last one that, that John uh, and Carol said in this is that we always look to wait to see what happens with generosity out of, out of that, because there's a fruit of this relationship that we have. That's why worship is our original love language to God. That's what we're to do. The other thing is that to be transformed to worship, it comes out of a journey. You know, a lot of times we have a pretty rough journey as believers, and we go through rough things. And I don't know if you've ever been there, but you feel like I have disappointment with God. And so you feel like, okay, is this... Is God turning his back on me now? But the, the neat thing about this relationship that we have that comes out of our journey is God doesn't pull back in our struggles. It's not like I go and I start having some doubts or I'm just bummed and I'm like, God, you should have been here. You are not here in this situation. And God doesn't turn his back on us in that. Look what it says. Even in the Old Testament, it says this. Ezekiel 34 says this. I myself will tend to my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. Does that sound like God turns his back when we start to turn his back on him? No, he goes after us. The other thing about Mary's worship and the last thing is that Mary's worship was physical. You know, a lot of times we don't talk about worship being physical or a posture that we would have in worship. You know, we're like, don't tell me how to worship, and I'm not going to tell you how to worship God. I, I, I'm not. But I will say that, you know, this scene with Mary worshiping Jesus would look a lot different if, he, if she just gave him a towel and said, here's some nard, here's a, a towel, here, you know, wipe off your feet, right? That would look a little different than her worshiping at his feet and anointing him. You know, if you look through the Bible, if you want to be biblically correct, there are so many different kinds of posture in worship. There's standing, there's eyes open, eyes closed, eyes towards heaven, bowing down, dancing, clapping, raising your hands, silent and alone. All of these things are postures that you see in the Bible in worship. And a lot of them you'll see are ridiculed too. And let me just say that here, you're free to worship any way that you need to. You know, you are. I mean, you're invited to worship God the way that God has called you to worship him. So when you look at these, this transformation in worship, I just want to give you a couple practical things to think about and to do this week. And, and one would be, what is keeping you from worship right now? Is there something in your life that is kind of keeping you, preventing you from going to Jesus at his feet? And even if you've been disappointed with God lately, he has not turned away from you. He is there ready to accept you and to worship with you. Or maybe you've been distracted like Martha with all the other stuff going on. He's ready to be there with you right now. Maybe it's time to renew that worship relationship. 
and to be transformed by that. The other thing I would encourage you to do is, I'm not going to tell you what to look like to worship, okay? I mean, sometimes I have my hands down on my side, sometimes I lift them up, sometimes I bow. I, but would you at least say, what, how do I want my posture to, affect, to reflect my heart right now? That's what I'm asking you to do. I'm not asking you to do anything that you'd be uncomfortable doing at all. But, you know, if you're praising God, you know, maybe my posture should be lifting my hands up. If you're grieving for what you need forgiveness for, maybe bowing down to him is the right thing. So would you just think about this week, and even as uh, we enter into worship uh, today, think about what your posture might reflect your heart and as, you, as you worship, how it might reflect your heart. You know, um, we're going to be invited now. This is a great message because we get to practice what we preach, right? <laughs> we get to actually worship. So I'll ask the worship team to uh, come up now. And I just want to um, really ask us to enter into worship. And, you know, I would encourage you, if you would like to stand, start off standing. If you want to sit, if you want to bow down, whatever you want to do. However physically you want to express your worship to God, I encourage you to do that with these songs as we sing these songs together and worship Him together. And as we enter into this, um, I just really want to create that invitation um, by reading a verse. And the, these are some verses from Psalm 95. And let me just say that this is our invitation. So if you want to stand up, you can do that now. Um, and let me read these verses here. Psalm 95, 1 through 7. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving. Let us extol on him with music and song. For the Lord is a great God, <laughs> a great God, a great king above all gods. In his hand we are the depths of the earth. And the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands form the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. For he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. At Life Community Church, we want you to experience the powerful, life-changing love of God. To learn more, go to lifemohammed.org. lifemohammed.org.